Well, I'd invite you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to the Gospel of John, and we are in John 1 this morning. So, um, when I was a kid, I would go and I would hang out with my friends, right? We'd spend time together. I'd kind of get to know them. And, um, and so every once in a while, as I would go to my friend's house, I would walk into their houses and, and each one of their houses had a very distinct smell to them. So, uh, so like one friend, every time I would walk into his house, his house would always smell like ramen noodles. Like no matter when you walk in, it, like every time I walked in, I would walk in and get hit in the face with ramen noodles. Like it was just powerful. It was there, right? Uh, another friend of mine, uh, I would walk into his house and I would get the smell of dog, right? Like, and it's not like an awful dog smell, but it is the smell of dog. Like it's distinct, right? It has its own kind of flavor and character to it. Um, and then uh, finally, a- another friend, I'd walk into his house and consistently, uh, I would get the smell of like old stale oatmeal. Like after it's been cooked and it's been left out for a little bit, like that smell would stick around for a little bit. So, so these are the smells that would exist in the, the houses of friends that I would walk into. And uh, so there are a few realities that go along with this, right? So I only noticed these smells like when I walked into the house. But after about five minutes of being in the house, you'd, like I didn't notice it anymore, right? Like the smell is just gone. It kind of disappeared. Um, and uh, the second reality that goes along with this is that my friends were incredibly unaware of these smells in their house. Like, they, like it, did just, it didn't register with them that their houses smelled like this, right? And then also the, the final reality is that apparently I, like my house had a smell too. Right? So, so like I'm talking to my friends and like we're, we're going somewhere and they're like, oh, this smells like your house. And I'm like, what are you talking about? My house doesn't have a smell. Like, I, like there's no distinct smell. I was oblivious to what smelled about my ho- house. So um, like these smells that in, like we encounter in each of these houses, they are odd. And uh, these smells are unusual, right? And that's why when we walk into the house, we're like, oh, this doesn't fit. This seems unusual. Right, so this is kind of setting up a premise for us, and that premise is this, that the odd things that we live with are natural to us. The odd things that we live with are natural to us. So to give another example of this, uh, some TV shows that uh, exist like on, I think, like TLC and other channels like that, uh, the show Hoarders. Um, the show My Strange Addiction. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to see these shows, but they are, uh, to a certain degree, kind of disturbing, right? They highlight behaviors and living conditions that people, like, they're just a part of their life. And, and these are odd conditions, to say the least. And perhaps even some of these conditions are unhealthy. But to the individuals, like, this is just life for them, right? This is normal to them. These realities to them are not odd, they are just like a natural part of what they experience. Okay, so that's one example. Let's take now a more serious example. Uh, A girl that I know, um, friends with, she grew up with an abusive dad. And, um, 
eventually, like, her family got out of the situation with her dad, right? Like, the, everybody was taken care of. But then um, years later, after, after her family got out of the situation, she ends up in college, and her mom ends up meeting this really, really great guy. Um, and this guy is kind, and he is generous, and he takes her as uh, kind of this woman's daughter, he takes her in as his own, right? Like, he's really good to her, he's warm to her, and, but, but to her, he is odd, right? Like, he doesn't make sense. He doesn't fit with what she knows because, like, while she knew that her abusive situation, her abusive dad, like, wasn't good, um, like, she did kind of think you, you have to expect guys to be jerks, right? Like, that was what kind of was intuited in her. Like, it did not fit with her that there would be a good or generous or warm or kind guy. Like, you just kind of have to put up with the fact that guys are not going to be good. She thought that she was going to have to settle for someone, and that, like, this is what she intuited from relationships and from just her impression of who guys were, that she was going to have to settle for someone who was unkind or self-important because that's what seemed natural to her. But her mom met this really great guy, and that kind of challenged her framework. Right, so there are things that don't fit, things that are odd, but, but if we live with them, they become very natural. Now, I say all of that to kind of set us up this morning. There is an odd and dark reality that has become very natural for us. Like as human beings, there's an odd and dark reality that's become very natural to us. And the truth is, like it doesn't actually belong. So, uh, so today, we are continuing a series called Jesus in an Insidious World. Right, so, uh, so in John chapter 1, this is kind of where we encounter Jesus as he comes into the world and he kind of meets these dark realities, right? Because there are dark and troublesome realities everywhere and it's really significant that Jesus has actually like entered into these realities and met us in them. Right, so last week we defined the word insidious, and I just kind of want to remind us of that definition. This is the definition of the word insidious. Insidious is proceeding in a gradual, subtle way, but with harmful effects. So last week, John introduced us to to the logos, and we defined that, we worked through that, and if you are interested, you could go back and listen to last week's message on our website Right, but the logos gives us this idea of the meaning of all existence, like the thing for which all things exist. And, and so we dug into this insidious reality that there's a bunch of confusion in our world about meaning and purpose and identity. And, and with all of that confusion, Jesus comes in and he is the meaning. He provides clarity to all of it. Right, so this week we're going to deal with another insidious reality because there is something for us that is so much a part of life that it seems very natural to us, but in reality, like it doesn't actually belong. So uh, Jesus is the one who shows up into this reality as the antidote. So John chapter 1 verse 4 says this. It says, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. Jesus shows up as life. And John says that there is something so striking 
about this life that is in him that we could actually call him the light of men. Like the life is so powerful. The life is so um, just uh, unexpected. It's so striking that it's called the light of men as if life existed in Jesus and nowhere else. Right, like life was there and everything else was dead. Like we could not see anything else because life just existed in him. Like the fact that he had life is so significant that we could say that all people were in the dark until they met him and saw his life. Right, so that means that Jesus coming in the flesh, coming to humanity, uh, he's coming with something that humanity does not have in itself, right? To work as an antidote against something that seems very normal and natural in humanity, right? So, so if in Jesus was life, if that's what's true, if in Jesus was life, like he must then be coming to meet humanity in our, what? In our death. Like death is the thing that we have gotten used to, right? We've adapted to it. We've normalized it. Like death very much is a part of life for us. Like to the point where it has become all pervasive in our existence. To the point where like most of the time we barely even notice it, right? And this, like this reality in and of itself, this is insidious, Right, the good news this morning, though, in the midst of that reality is that Jesus is life. So here's my goal this morning. Like, I want us to let Jesus open our eyes to the realities of life and death. Right, and for two reasons. So number one, so that we might better grasp exactly what this gift is that we have in Jesus. Like when we talk about having the gift of life, hearing words of life, receiving life from Jesus, I want us to better grasp than we are currently able to. I want us to better grasp exactly what it is that Jesus has given us. Right, but there's another reality, which is that all pervasive means that like, this is not just about our life and death. This is about the life and death of our neighbors, of our friends, of our acquaintances, of our coworkers. Right, so this is so that we might better grasp the life that we have, but also so that we might be like more motivated and more equipped to actually extend the life of Jesus to our neighbors. So uh, we're going to move forward this morning, and what we're really doing is we're answering two questions. The first question that we're answering is, "What is death?" Right, to to really understand what it is that Jesus is giving us, we have to understand what it is that He is counteracting. And then uh, the second question that we're going to move forward this morning is, what is the life that is in Jesus? Right, so, so number one, what is death? So uh, before you check out, right, because you think you have the answer to this, because when I started kind of engaging with this passage and trying to wrap my head around it, I thought I had it figured out, right? I want you to invite you to kind of be perplexed with me for a second. So, uh, so in John 1, 4, this is what it says. It says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So the, the idea that's being presented is that Jesus was so striking, right? He was light. He was kind of so offsetting that, uh, and, and it was his life that set him apart, 
right? Life is what set him apart. Like life couldn't be found anywhere else. We were in the dark until life showed up in Jesus, right? That's the idea that's being presented. So here's the kind of the part I want you to invite you to be perplexed with me about, right? John is looking at living people and saying there's no life there. Right? Like he's looking at people who are breathing and moving around and walking and going about their business and he's saying life can't be found there. Right? When we think of death, we typically think of the end of our time on earth. Like that's, the, that's the concept that we have in our head. Right? We think of what it means to draw that last breath or to draw that final breath. But apparently, you can still be breathing and lack life. So, so that's what John seems to indicate. So before you think, like, I know what death is, I want to slow you down because, like, I don't even think I really had an idea of the biblical picture of death and still, until I started working through this this week. So, um, so to better grasp what death is, we're going to go back to where death started. Right? So in, in the book of Genesis, um, God created the first humans. Right? He gave them authority over creation. And then he gave them a particular instruction. In Genesis 2, 16 and 17, this is what he said. It says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden." But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So here death is presented as the punishment or result of disobedience, right? So what happens in the story? Like if you know the rest of the story, they disobey. They do what they are told not to do. And then afterward, God comes and speaks a curse to them, right? He pronounces curses over them. And then after that, he sends them away from the garden, right? He's saying, you can't be here in this place where I am anymore. And so what's interesting, though, is that on the day that they disobeyed, they were still breathing, right? Like when God says, you shall surely die, like we're meant to see them, like in the moment that they disobey, we're meant to see them as having died, but they're still breathing. Right? This is, so this is where we need to get really clear on the Bible's picture of death. right? Because while you can certainly call the drawing of a final breath death, like death is so much bigger than just dying. Right? Which is why John can look at the whole of humanity and say there's no life there. Even though they're breathing, and even though they're walking, and even though they're going about their business, there's no life that can be found there. Right, so, uh, so what exactly is death if it is not simply the drawing of our final breath? Well, after the curses in Genesis, what happens? Like there becomes like relational discord between human beings and God. Right, there becomes a separation. There is now a breach between God and humans. So God sends them out of the garden. He says to them, essentially, you cannot be where I am. We cannot exist in the same space anymore. Uh, the New Testament says it like this. It says actually that we have been alienated from God. It uses enemies in our relationship with God that we are enemies and strangers to God. And so 
Then as you watch in the New Testament, the New Testament writers use words like death to describe our situation. Like you discover that they're writing about something more than the drawing of a final breath. So in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, this is what it says. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So Paul is writing to people who are currently alive, who are breathing, and he tells them at one time you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Like there is something about being stuck in trespasses and sins that is so powerful that the word that they use for it is death. Like these things separate us from God and as a result, they are a part of what it means for us to be dead, right? And then Paul says that like it it wasn't just like an example of our state. Like these weren't, this wasn't a static reality, but we were walking in it. Right, You once walked in these things. You are following a pathway, a particular course, and that becomes really important. Right, That death itself is not just a static reality, but that it is a pathway that we are engaged in walking. Right, So, so that's one piece of death that is more than just the taking of a last breath. But there's another place that tells us even more about death. So Revelation 20.14 uh, says this. It says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Right? And then what you read, if you read on, is that those whose names were not written in the book of life were also thrown into the lake of fire with death and Hades. So what this means, this lake of fire, this is a description, a word used for hell. It means that hell is also death. Right, described in many places in scripture as a place of torment and also, for what it's worth, a place of separation and alienation from God. Right, so, so maybe what you're doing is you're starting to see how these pieces fit together. Because you have our sins and our trespasses which start us out as being separated and alienated from God and result in the taking of our last breath and ultimately end up in this second death called hell which is a place of separation and alienation from God, among other things. So what is death then? Death is this. Death is the course of disconnection from our creator. Right, like ultimately, the biblical picture of what death is, the holistic picture, more than just the drawing of a final breath, it is the course of disconnection from our creator. Right, and this is what the course looks like. Now, uh, if you're watching online, you might have a hard time seeing this, but, but this is supposed to represent uh, moving from one thing to another to another, right? This is uh, kind of directional. This is a pathway, and this is how the pathway starts. The pathway starts with disconnection from God, and then it moves into the final breath, right? And from the final breath, it takes us into hell, right? Like this is the story of death. Right, so like, let's be real for a second. This seems like a dire and concerning circumstance, right? And the way that I just stated that, that was like probably incredibly understating the reality of things. 
Like this is an odd and dark reality that actually does not belong to existence. Right? This is not the way it's supposed to be. Right? Every battle against sin, every time our body breaks down more, like again, just reading these prayer requests of the last three weeks and understanding what's going on in our church, every uh, lost loved one, like all of this is the result of death playing itself out. Right? And the unfortunate reality is that we, we actually live in an insidious world that has rebranded and normalized death for us. Right? Like if this, this, uh, this course that we're talking about is the reality of what death is, we have kind of, uh, it has become the stench of the house that we live in. Right? Like it, it has been rebranded and normalized and we've become used to it to the point that we barely even notice the fullness of its effects. Right? So like, let's just talk about death for a second because there are four insidious lies that have normalized death for us. The first lie is this, that you can build a good life for yourself here, right? Like you are told you have to kind of uh, make what you can of this life. You have to build something great for yourself. Like, and, and what that does ultimately is it makes this uh, life that we're living, it makes this the purpose for which you exist. Right? It, it, it makes uh, the, the accruing of wealth become a focus or the accruing of status become a focus or seeing yourself lifted up in the eyes of others uh, becoming a focus. Right, The idea is you can build something good for yourself here. But if what you're building is death, like why is that a good thing to build? So that's the first insidious lie. The second lie is that death is actually the best life that we can live, right? So this is where you get the examples of just like eat, drink, and be merry, right? Like enjoy pleasure. Life is fleeting. Uh, So dig into it as much as you can. Soak up all of the fun that you can out of this life. Uh, What do we say? We say live it up while you can. Isn't that incredibly ironic? Like live it up. Keep going, like go deeper into death. Get as much of it as you can because this is all there is. It's another lie. Here's a, here's a third one. The third one is that you can find spiritual life just about anywhere. Right, like if you look in this world, you could go, you can find a system of beliefs and practices that might work for you. You can be a spiritual person who takes a little bit from here and a little bit from here, and you can be full of spirituality. And the the thing that they want to get you to believe is that uh, you would simply be able to somehow find life in places that are actually dead. And then the fourth, the fourth lie that's told is that true life is boring and empty, right? Like, you can't do the things that life is all about if you pursue or follow Jesus. Like, God is gonna restrict you from certain things, aspects of living and experiencing life, and so if you're actually gonna follow God, you have to kind of engage in this boring, kind of dull life. You miss out on so much if you do that, and so that's not worth engaging in because you miss out on life by doing that, 
right? And with all of these lies, what has happened is that death has essentially been rebranded to say, uh, do what you can here because this is what you have. Like, this is your opportunity, right? And all of these and more contribute to the reality that death is coming, so you have to make the most of this life. So get, get this, like any lie, any lie always ultimately fails in the long run, right? But the best lies don't fail until after you're already physically dead, right? And then at that point, it's too late. Like you can't get past that. Like you realize that what you thought was life for you was actually only a better version of death. Right, you simply uh, kind of walked into a gorgeous and well-decorated funeral and treated it like a birthday party. Right? So, so the insidious problem is that there is no life in this life. Right? And we would have remained like totally ignorant to this reality. But the good news that we were given. John 1.4 In him was life. And the life was the light of men. So if death was so all-encompassing and pervasive, then we're brought then to our second question, which is this. What is the life that was in Jesus? What is the life in Jesus? So if our chief problem is uh, death resulting from disconnection from God, like death is our disconnection from God. What we're told then is that Jesus Jesus meets us in the middle of this insidious reality and then kind of stands there as the antidote, which must mean the thing in Jesus that can be found nowhere else is true and real consistent connection to God. Right, like if what death is, is a disconnection from God that has worked itself out in us, that has led to the taking of last breaths, that ultimately ends up in a place called hell and separation from God, then what the thing that is in Jesus that John looks at and calls it life must be real and consistent connection to God. Right, like, okay, so we are on a path of alienation and separation that leads to all kinds of death. But what we're told is that Jesus was constantly connected to God. Like we look at Jesus and we see a person who was uh, lived a life full of faith and faithfulness to God and we see out of him arise all sorts of things that nobody had ever witnessed anywhere because he was so in tune with his father. Right, so we had the definition of life or, or of death earlier. Here's the definition of life. Like if we could boil it down to the biblical picture of life, this is what it is. It is the course, the pathway of union with our creator. Right, so, so Jesus was so striking because never before had anybody witnessed a person so fully connected with God. Right, like imagine a human being functioning fully and rightly exactly the way that they were built to function. Right? Like, imagine a person who is not plagued by pride or insecurity. Imagine a person who is, everywhere he goes, he's always generous of spirit. Right? Imagine a person who always knows and does what is right, regardless of the circumstance. Right? And then, and then imagine you see that person like heal and cure blindness, like heal and cure disease. Imagine you see him raise the dead. 
right? Imagine you speak to his disciples, like, and he actually, like, he says to his disciples that, like, the same things are going to come through you, right? Like, and this is really interesting, because when we say words like Jesus offers life, what we're typically talking about is life after death, Like, I think that's what we typically think of. When we say Jesus offers life, we're thinking of life after death. But here's the problem. For us, there is no after death, right? Like, we're already dead. If Jesus offers life, then he's offering us something that involves getting off of the pathway that we're currently on and getting onto a new pathway, right? So so life is certainly, yes, John 3, 16, eternal life. But life is also John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the life, right? Life is resurrection. Life is also John ten ten. I come, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I come that you may have life and have it to the fullest, have it abundantly, right? Life is also abundant life. Life is the overcoming of the death that reigns not just when we take our final breath, but that, uh, that reigns in our sin and in our temptation and in our action, right? Life is uh, received through uh, listening to the words of Jesus and receiving the eternal life that comes through those words that he speaks to us. Like life is rivers of living water that pour out life onto other people around us. Like life is so much bigger than simply life after death. So Jesus just, like he doesn't, just offer one thing that we call life after death. Jesus offers life starting now. Right, so this is what that looks like. And here's the pathway that maybe you can see at home. It starts with connection to God, right? So if death started with disconnection from God, the the life starts with uh, an actual means, a way of connection to God. Right, and leads to resurrection, right? That's the promise that we have, that we will have resurrected bodies, which ultimately takes us to this thing called eternal life, which is the, the new creation that we will experience with Jesus. Right? This is the picture of life that the Bible gives to us. So what is John doing? John is introducing us to Jesus, who will carry out all of these things, like so that it can be said uh, of him that in him there was life. And he's saying, uh, to the point that nowhere else in all of creation could life be found, but in Jesus was life. Which means that, okay, so now what we have to do, we have to set these two pathways against each other, right? We have the pathway of death and the pathway of life, right? We have the pathway of disconnection from God that leads us to a taking of a final breath that leads us ultimately to hell. But then Jesus offers the opportunity to be connected to our God, to be reconciled to God, that uh, he would call us his children, right? And that gives us a promise of resurrection so that when we take a final breath, yeah, that might be true, but uh, the, the thing that we're actually heading towards from that final breath is resurrection unto eternal life, right? So, so the first path the path of disconnection, the path of death, it is for us the natural path, right? It's the inherent path. It's the path that uh, we have kind of become ignorant to. It's the path that we have dressed up, that we have uh, kind of attempted to dignify. And nobody has ever lived in a way that would be able to offset themselves or anyone else off of that path. Right, like that path is the permanent, necessary, uh, inherent reality, except for one person, 
Jesus. Right, so John says, we thought we knew what life was. But then we saw Jesus and realized that what we thought was life was actually death. Right, Jesus showed us a connection to God that flowed out of his words, that came forward with power in his miracles, that was clarified in his character, that raised Lazarus from the dead, that overcame his final breath, that brought him to life after he was murdered, that extended life to every one of us who believed in him. And that is why, in the New Testament, when you read about believers who pass on, you notice they never say that they died. They don't talk about believers in the New Testament as having died. They kind of protest, in fact, against using that word. They might talk about other people as having died, but they talk about believers in the New Testament as having fallen asleep because they know that death no longer applies to those who are following Jesus. Right, so all of this comes together. And what it testifies of to us is one clear reality. The only remedy for death is Jesus' life. The only remedy for death is Jesus' life. Okay, so what? So what? I have uh, three things to share with us this morning and then we'll wrap up. Christian, quit playing with dead things. Right, so... So here's the gift, right? We could not get ourselves off of the course of death. We couldn't get off of the course of death. But Jesus comes and he actually like takes us off of that course and puts us on the course of life, right? Like we had no power to get us out of this thing of, called death, but Jesus comes and takes us and puts us on the course of life. But here's the thing though. Like when we get taken out of death and put into life, we still have like the muck of death on us, right? Like we still have sin. We still have our flesh. We still have brokenness. But then Jesus kind of engages this process with us as we start walking on this path of life where he starts working death out of us by the Holy Spirit, right? So, so our life is connection to God, but the muck of death still kind of interferes with that connection. Like the longer we continue playing in death, the more we miss out on the experience of having life and connection with God through Jesus. Right, so my question for you then is like, what dead things are you continuing to engage with and entertain? Right, like, maybe it's talking about other people without ever actually talking to them. Right, this is a dead thing. This is a thing that would disparage the reputation of a neighbor, that would seek to actually walk in truth with other people, or that would fail to walk in truth with other people, right? So this is a dead thing. Be done with it, because it is restricting life. Right? Maybe it's bitterness towards somebody else. Right? This is a dead thing. We are called to be done with it. Right? Maybe it's some activity that keeps you from doing the things that you know God wants you to do. It keeps you from uh, engaging with God. This is a dead thing, right? This is a thing that is restricting life for you. And the, the kind of amazing pathway that you've been called onto is connection from God. So be done with this dead thing. Maybe it's viewing your neighbors as an inconvenience rather than an opportunity for ministry and just to simply love another person, right? This is a dead thing. Be done with it, right? These things restrict life.
and we need to be called away from things that are dead so that we can actually experience the connection with God that is the life that we've been placed inside of. Uh, number two, abide in Christ. Right, so, so we just, we're in this process of walking through John's introduction to his, his gospel. And what he's doing is he is inviting people to see Jesus, to be in awe of Jesus, so that they might ultimately, like, he's kind of building all of this up so that uh, when he tells the story of his gospel, he's going to get to John chapter 15, and Jesus is going to say, Abide in me. Right, for if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Right, so he's saying all of this to people that they might ultimately believe in Jesus and abide in Jesus, right? Life flows in every space of our life that is connected to Jesus, right? Abundant life comes that the, the more that we spend our lives in partnership with Jesus, the more we find ourselves at home in Jesus, right? The, so the world tells us a lie that this kind of a life of being connected to Jesus, of understanding his words, of growing deeper with who he is, that this kind of a life is actually boring, right? It's keeping you from things that are actually full of life, and that's a lie because those things lead to death. But when we consistently meet the real Jesus, it is actually like the most life-giving thing that there is in all the world. So my question for you is, um, you know, a few months ago we did a series called Rhythms. And we didn't talk about all the possible rhythms of the Christian life, but the point of that was to get us engaging patterns that would connect us to Jesus. Right, so my question for you is, what rhythms do you need to engage that are going to help your soul abide in Jesus? My final so what is this? If this is true, it's the thing that matters most. If this is true, it's the thing that matters most. I wish, um, the, the reality of this whole rebranding of death thing is that it has gotten us very used to the reality of death so that we're quite happy ignoring things that might be true. Right, but as we listen to Jesus and as John quite clearly declares who Jesus is and if we actually believe that Jesus was a person who walked to the earth and died and perhaps maybe even rose from the dead, like if all of this is true, it actually means something really significant. It means that we can't afford to keep ignoring it. So if this is true, it is the thing that matters most. So for the person listening this morning, if you have never trusted Jesus or you're kind of leaving your life separated from Jesus or you never surrendered to Jesus, the call on you this morning is to hear who Jesus is and surrender to him. Right? In him is life. And life can be found nowhere else. Right? Real, genuine life, connection with your creator can be found in him and nowhere else. So surrender your life to Jesus. Right? So that's for the person who doesn't yet follow or know or trust Jesus. But then for the others of us, there's a challenge in this too. Right? Because these are not just truths for us that impact our lives. But like, if this is true, it's the thing that matters most for our neighbor. Right? If death is the only thing that we can find in this world that we live in, right? it's the only pattern that, that exists, and Jesus is the only way to life, like that should put a sense of urgency upon us. 
Not to simply neglect our neighbors, not to neglect, neglect engaging with them, but to seek them out, to love them well, to create opportunities for conversation that we might testify of the truth of who Jesus is and let them ha- have the opportunity to hear this thing that matters most. Right, so, so if you're listening and you've received the life that Jesus has to offer, I want to move your eyes to your neighbors that you would be so pressed and motivated in your soul to see that this is the thing that matters most for them. That you wouldn't waste any more time not connecting with them, engaging in your own thing, being distracted from who they are, or even just treating them as inconveniences to your life. That you would love them, that you would share the truth with them. Right, so church, this is the good news that in Jesus is life for us this morning. This is the insidious reality that Jesus met us in the insidious reality of death and extended to us life. And this is really, really good news. So with all of that being said, I want to pray and then we will close our service this morning. Would you pray with me, please? But I am so struck by the fact that there are um, a multiplicity of messages that tell us where real life is found. That try to convince us to follow after things that cannot sustain life. Right? That, that, that tell us um, that what we need to do is live for ourselves to build the best life that we can here to make the biggest impact that we can here because this is all that matters. And Lord, all of those messages that we receive make us ignorant to the reality that the thing that we build, if we only build in this life, is ultimately death. So Lord, I am so struck by the fact that you came and you extended life. So for anybody listening this morning who maybe hasn't trusted you yet or maybe doesn't follow you, Lord Jesus, I ask that you would draw them, that you would lead them to a place where they would be done with dead things, where they would seek to be done with dead things and they would say, okay, Jesus, now I'm ready to surrender to you. I'm ready to follow you. Lord Jesus, for those of us who are, who have been saved by you, who've kind of been pulled off of one pathway and put on a, a different pathway. Lord I ask that you would help us to be done with our dead things. To set them aside that we might see the abundant life that you actually have to offer begin flowing out of us. Right, that we might see the dire state of our neighbors and we might love them well enough to build relationships with them and simply, simply love them, but then to also bring your truth to them. Jesus, I thank you for these things. I thank you for who you are, and I thank you that you gave us life. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to share with you as we close the service this morning a benediction from 1 John chapter 5. It says, if we receive the testimony of men, right, the lies about death, the, the rebranding of death, the convincing us that death is just normal, the, the attempting to dignify death, right? If we receive the testimony of men, you know what? The testimony of God is greater. 
For this is the testimony of God, that he is born concerning his son, that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Alliance Bible Church, I'm so glad that we get to claim Jesus as the one who gives us life. I want to thank you for worshiping with us this morning. And I want to just let you know how much of it a joy it is that uh, we are able to gather together at a distance, even though we can't be physically present, that we are still able to engage in worship of our Savior and receive his words of life together. Thank you so much for worshiping with us.